4: Hope you are having a fantastic Friday morning. And if you are a Seattle Seahawk fan, or if you are Carlos Dunlap, you are probably having a pretty fantastic start to your Friday because down the stretch, lo and behold, the Seattle Seahawk defense. Finally made a play, and I think they were as stunned as everybody else was. We are, of course, here in the Geico Outkick Studios. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. Fortunately, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing, too, because having a home is hard work. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. Geico.com, easy. I'll be honest with you. I thought Kyler Murray was going to go down the field inside of that final 220-ish that they had the ball, and I thought the Cardinals were going to score and the big debate was going to become, should they kick the extra point or go for the win and go for two? And I was even convinced enough, based on what we had seen from the Seahawk defense, I was like, well, don't score too fast. You don't want to put yourself in a position where Russell Wilson has an opportunity to come back the other way. Now, I do think that Kyler Murray's shoulder was a little bit off. But if you had the Seattle Seahawks defense getting a sack on 4th and 10 while only rushing three people against the Arizona Cardinals, I don't think there were very many of you out there that were holding that ticket. And as a result, we saw the Seahawks get a much-needed win to bounce back from a a 1-3 stretch that they had been in after starting 5-0. Uh, Two straight losses. They had gone on the road against the Bills and lost, and then they had lost against the Rams. They were back home, not the usual 12th-man environment where it's wild and loud and crazy and everything else, but it did seem like they were pumping in a lot of noise, several false starts for the Arizona Cardinals, and it came down to a final drive, as so many of these NFL games do, and the Seahawks' defense made a play they got to stop. Now, there are a lot of people out there who who were of the opinion, frankly I was one of them, that this could be Kyler Murray's coming out uh, party after the Hail Mary win against the Bills last week. And it didn't quite happen for Kyler Murray. His injury to his shoulder, it seemed like he was trying to keep it warm throughout the game. And several of the throws, in particular he had a third down throw where I thought he had a receiver come open, and granted that he was under a little bit of pressure when he made the throw, but it didn't seem like his throw had the same pop that it would ordinarily have, as if he didn't want to go as hard as he could with his shoulder to try to make the throw. And uh, if you were watching the game on third down, receiver breaking open, potentially close for a touchdown, uh, and the play got broken up, and, uh, and so we'll see what ends up happening going forward in the best division in all of the NFL right now, the NFC West, but the Seahawks who already lost once to the Cardinals avoid the double loss comeback. Russell Wilson looks better. Doesn't have any major turnovers uh, like he had been. Russell Wilson had 10 turnovers in the previous uh, four games. He had been very mediocre from a passer perspective compared to how he started And uh, as a result, I think you have to be fairly optimistic if you're a Seahawks fan about a game that felt like it was a must-win that the Seahawks found a way to get the win in this one. Now. We have got a loaded show for you uh, coming down the pike on the Friday edition of OutKick. Let me give you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're headed. We're going to talk to my guy Lance Taylor next out at the Lance Taylor 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. Barrett Salee from CBS Sports will join us in Hour 2. And then in Hour 3, we had a little bit of a long-form conversation with Grant Napier, who is the former voice of the Sacramento Kings. He was the voice of the Sacramento Kings, for 30 years also did radio for 26 years and he was unceremoniously fired after uh 32 years sorry of tv because he tweeted all lives matter every single one and within 48 hours of sending that tweet he had lost his job as an nba announcer that had started all the way back in 1988 in the city of Sacramento. So I'm telling you, I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. You guys are going to enjoy the part of it that we have excerpted for you in the third hour of the program. Let you know, as always, the Wins and Losses podcast, which is our long-form podcast exclusives. Uh, that is up, and you can go listen to a 45 or 50-minute conversation of me and uh, Grant Napier breaking down all of those issues. Also, third hour of the show, just so you know, we went 6-0 and with the OutKick gambling picks last week in the NFL. I've got seven picks, a Baker's half dozen for you, uh, an extra pick, seven picks for you in the OutKick six-pack. But... Circling back around, big storylines going on right now. The Seahawks get the win. Uh, The other big storylines as we get ready, and we're going to be breaking down a lot of these games as we roll ahead. Big day in the Big Ten coming up tomorrow uh, with Ohio State hosting Indiana and with Wisconsin going up against Northwestern. Right now, the expectation would be what we thought when we entered the season, which is that we're going to see Indiana Uh, losing to Ohio State, and that Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten East with ease, and that the Big Ten West is going to be represented by Wisconsin. So Saturday, uh, in the Big Ten, we have an opportunity to kind of go a long way towards setting up what would be the Big Ten championship game between, theoretically, the two best teams in the Big Ten. But that is not all that we have going on. Uh, in the world of college football. We continue to break down what exactly is going to happen in the SEC. Uh, Are Florida and Texas A&M and also Alabama going to maintain uh, their potential ability to make the college football playoff? And what in the world are we going to get out of Clemson as they are a 35-point favorite over Florida State, and they try to continue to send the message that they are, in fact, uh, the uh, the best team by far in the ACC and that the only reason they lost was because they happened to end up in a situation where Trevor Lawrence had to miss the game on the road against Notre Dame. Also, for those of you out there who are big college football fans, even though this is not necessarily the Oklahoma team that we expected to see at the start of the season, it's also Bedlam which is one of the great rivalries in all of sports in the college football universe. So that is uh, worthy of contemplation. But for at least one night in the NFL, as we started back with the NFL Week 11, Russell Wilson outshined Kyler Murray in a battle of quarterbacks. Kyler Murray uh, was good, good, but not great and the biggest part about Kyler Murray, I would say, that was not great is the Seahawk defense, which really hasn't done a great job all season, did a very good job of ensuring that he was not able to run the football and make any plays against them with his legs because Kyler Murray only ran the ball five times for 15 yards, which was pretty outstanding. Meanwhile, uh, Russell Wilson didn't really force anything threw for under 200 yards, but took what the uh, Arizona Cardinals were giving him and as a result ended up with a big win. If you think about where we're headed now uh, in terms of the, uh, the playoff picture in the NFC, first of all, the NFC is wide open. I mean, just wide open, because everybody you can point to has had uh, a game or two where you think, man, there's no way they deserve uh, to be considered a Super Bowl contender at a high level, and right now the Seahawks, if the season were ending uh, today as we go into week 11, would be your overall number three seed in uh, the NFC, and they would be able to host a home playoff game, and they would be playing against who? The LA Rams. Because the L.A. Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Seattle Seahawks, three of the seven teams coming out of the uh, NFC, would be all from the NFC West right now. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
3: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: Joined now by Barrett Salee as we roll through An upcoming, hopefully, pretty packed college football schedule. Also, the NFL obviously rolling as well. Barrett, you're down in Atlanta. Does it feel crazy? Are you ready for double Senate campaigns? I know you're
5: excited. Can't wait for more commercials. Good. They've already started. Like, uh, all of these candidates have killed people. They're all the devil. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) just like... It is kind of wacky. I was reading
4: an article the other day, and it was talking about... I think they they spent $150 million in South Carolina and in Maine and in all these different states. They literally have reached the point where they raised so much money that they don't even know what to do with it, right? I mean, they buy every single—I'm sure it's great, the fact that you have double Senate campaigns still going in Georgia. I'm sure it's great for local television dollars. But they literally can't spend the money that they are raising because people are just like, I'm so—I can't even imagine because people are so tired of the election already, and then you guys get two more months of it after everybody else all over the state of Georgia.
5: Do you know how much I would kill for like a My Pillow commercial or a Liberty <laughs> Liberty Mutual, like that Liberty song? It'll, yeah. I would
4: kill for those commercials at this point. Yeah. And yet yeah, they're, they're not. Especially, there. I'm sure that during all the sports that you're watching, it's all Senate campaign ads, pretty much, right? Oh, I mean, because they just awful. have to, yeah, they have to spend the money somehow, and there's only so much programming they can live put it on. Yeah, like, that's right. People
5: watch live sports, and they have to watch the commercials. Oh, God, it's awful. I'm just, it's
4: awful. All right, so uh, so let's dive into what's not awful, college football. It feels like, and I feel like I need to knock on wood all around and everything else, feels like this week in terms of the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the Pac-12 is going to have less cancellations than last week. Are we through the worst of it, you think, or... Do you think there's still major, major issues on the horizon just in terms of being able to play games between now and when, theoretically, the conference championship games will be played about a month from now?
5: I think we're still in, in some trouble. Um, not, not necessarily the number of teams. You know. I think that's going to probably continue to go down, but it's the impact that, the, that any cancellations will make. Because, you know, you've seen, I mean, you follow this, you know, more than anybody, that the numbers are rising. Like the case, you know, whether we could argue what, you know, the the validity is and and how, you know, how many, what the death rate is, all that stuff. But they're still rising, right? And so really that's all that matters in terms of, you know, even if these kids are asymptomatic – they still have to sit, they still have the contact tracing rules, and there's a smaller window. And I think that's the biggest thing is that let's just say Ohio State has positive tests next week in contact tracing or whatnot. And then you're talking about the second half of their season essentially being in jeopardy, right? So I think that's the biggest thing now. Even if there's fewer games canceled per week, the, the impact, especially if, if they involve teams, uh, in the college football playoff race, will be far greater than they have been. You know, through the first few weeks of this.
4: So this is kind of uh, this is kind of interesting. Yesterday on the radio program, I got into what I think is a pretty fascinating question. You were a big part of uh, of paying attention and and being involved in all the people who said it's impossible to play college football. Right? You saw mm-hmm. the what I call the Corona Bros. The argument that it was impossible to play college football yes. in the in the fall those people i bad. think yeah well have been proven wrong to a large <laughs> extent but i haven't seen a single person saying you can't play college basketball and i'm just fascinated by the dichotomy between the two because if anything if you're arguing you can't play college football i obviously disagree with you but college football primarily being played in the fall outdoors college basketball primarily being played in the winter Indoors, requiring abundant travel, right? Whereas the average college football team doesn't really have to travel very much. They don't have to stay in hotels very often. You're on a plane a lot of the time or on a bus traveling, hotels, all those things a lot with college basketball, far more than college football. And And you're indoors during a time when the viral spread, regardless of what the virus is, is going to spread a lot worse in the winter than it is during the fall or the spring or the summer for sure. Why have those arguments not been made? College basketball is going to start next week, and I'm in favor of it being played, but I just find that divergence, that dichotomy to be so fascinating. Why has there been no argument against college basketball and there were so many people arguing against college football? Because it doesn't drive clicks. Do you think that that is that, that people just care so much more about college football?
5: Yeah, and and I think partly like, look, I, I think that there the the and I'm not necess- that's not necessarily a criticism of of those pe- I and mean, I guess it kind of is, but if if let's just say that I think, you know, I, that I'm one of those, you know, current bros that you call. Them. Um if I want to make my point, like right if I believe everything that I'm writing and I'm saying my vehicle to make my point is is far? It's a it's a much bigger microphone for college football. Like if you're talking about it in the context of college football. So, you know, I think if people want to believe, people will believe whatever they want to, right? Like, and it's become political, which is stupid. Um, but it's if if I truly believe something one way or the other, I don't think using college basketball to deliver it would will make as much of an impact as college football and I think that's proven right because think about how much we talked about college football in June, July, August right when they weren't playing a time like it was all it was all about how are you going to do college football how are you going to do classes what are you going to do if they're, they're online all that other stuff right um it's you know it's we don't have that with college basketball because obviously it's not as popular, and it has been drowned out. So if we talk about it, you know, with the context of of the preseason, the NFL's there, the college football's there. We had you know baseball wrapping up you know a few weeks ago. It's just it, the the microphone is not as big. So even if you do believe all of the things that you're, you whatever your opinion is whether it's the it's over exaggerated or it's you know it's, it's far worse than than they're saying whatever it is you're not going to you're not going to use basketball to deliver it because it's not going to be impactful
4: Also I think it's probably to some extent that they've recognized they're not going to win the battle Right. Well, and that the, too. The election <laughs> is over, notwithstanding the way we started this conversation with everything still going on in the, <laughs> the Georgia Senate. The election is
5: not over in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I
4: know. The, the election not is the- not over if you're still living in Georgia. You got to go all the way what is it? January 5th that you guys have to wait till now? God, it sucks. Yes. January. And you'll probably have another another recount another two weeks there, so you're probably talking about almost all the way through uh, January before people in Georgia can escape politics. It'll be almost Why time. Why do you for hate the,
5: me? Why are you It'll be, it'll be, be almost
4: time. Me. It's almost time for the midterms by uh, by the time you guys get uh, everything resolved in Georgia. All right, so we're talking to Barrett Salih. All right, let's go into college football. Right now, if you were voting, who should be the Heisman Trophy winner? And how do you think your answer is likely to change between now and when the season is complete, if at all?
5: Right now, I'd say Kyle Trask. Um, I think what he's done to that Florida offense and, and how he's handled the... Absence of Kyle Pitts and you know not miss a beat, whether it be the, the second half of the Georgia game or really the last three quarters of the Georgia game or last week against a, a pretty good Arkansas defense. It's he's just he's so good. He has so much command of that offense. He has he knows where to go go with the football. He you know, he, he makes changes at the line of scrimmage, which is rare for a Dan Mullen offense. And, you know, I just think that matters. Um I would you know, Mac Jones is in that conversation too, so I guess if 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 something's going to impact it. It, it might be a head to head matchup between those two in, in Atlanta in the SEC Championship game. Uh, Trevor and Justin Fields, I think the, the problem with them is they're not getting, you know, the, the, the scarcity is going to come back to hurt them. Because if you see Mac Jones and Kyle Trask do it for 10 games or nine games or eight games or whatever, and you see Trevor do it in six or seven and Justin do it in five or six, that that does matter. It does. And then especially, you know, I think the competition in the SEC obviously is, is tougher too. So I, I think Kyle Trask and Mac Jones head-to-head will do a lot towards changing my opinion. And I think maybe they have to lose, like not play games for – for Trevor and for Justin to catch back up, because I think Kyle's done it for so long already. I guess the one thing also that could be Kyle's fatigue, all right? So, like, if if he marginally struggles against, you know, Alabama, or if he marginally struggles against LSU, a bad LSU defense, then that might have more of an impact, not necessarily for me, but I think maybe from a lot of folks in terms of recency bias and just kind of, you know, how it naturally at the end of the season – People kind of try to look for somebody else to, to sort of focus on.
4: How so one of the challenging things you just hit on is difference of games, difference of quality of competition, even more magnified this year than it usually is, right? Because we'll sit around and be like, okay, how do we assess this Ohio State 12 team regular, 12 game regular schedule compared to Alabama or whoever it might be? Now we're going to be potentially comparing a 11-game season, maybe, in the SEC versus a 6- or 7-game season in the Big Ten versus a 5- or 6-game schedule in the Pac-12. How do you think the college football playoff committee will end up assessing things, and who do you anticipate will end up in the playoff at this point in time?
5: I think the way that it's, just, it's going to be eye test way more than anything else because you really can't use strength of schedule. Because you know it's it's, it's all strength of schedule is going to be all about the eye test, right? So you know you have that sort of you know ingrained in each other, they're kind of weaved into the same conversation. Uh, so I, I think you're going to have that more than anything else. I think you're going to have um, obviously you know wins and losses, but I think you know style points are going to matter um, more more for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten because of scarcity than the SEC, ACC, whatever. Uh, so I think it's the teams that are, you know, up there right now, if chalk holds, that's going to matter a whole lot more because it's going to be hard to talk yourself into Texas A and M. It's going to be hard to talk yourself into BYU or somebody like that. So um, the, the teams up there right now—Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida—you know, you guess Texas State to an extent, but they're blocked by Florida. Um, I mean, I'm not, they're not blocked by Florida; they're, they're blocked by Alabama. Um, you know, it's just it's. You're, you're at a, a massive advantage if you've already got that going for you because clearly the eye test is also in your favor
4: do you think that we will end up in a situation where the college football playoff committee announces the college football playoff on december 20th in other words do we play the conference title games as they are presently constituted and scheduled on december 19th or do you think there's a schedule change
5: I've been back and forth on this. I would say I am about 60-40 that it goes on as scheduled right now. Uh, you know, Although there have been obviously some some games later this week that have been canceled as well. But I I just think that it's it, it, they're not going to want to make a decision this late on something as big as the college football playoff, which I think incidentally is, is not the way you should approach it. But – uh, if I had to guess, I would say they just kind of go along with it the way it is because they don't know, you know. It could be worse, you know, if they delay it, right? Like, if what if more games get canceled on December twelfth or December nineteenth? Yeah. have the conference champion. You know, it's just you might not be able to play them. So, I, I think at, at to a point, at some point, you have to say, okay, let's just rip off the bandaid. Let's just do it. It's going to suck. It's going to be messy. But this is the way it's going to be this year, and. You know, if, if that ends up not being the right decision, okay, fine. But it's the more appropriate decision right now. You can't you, you can't make that decision and look back in hindsight. You just you can't do it. You just got to make a decision and go with it. And right now, I think it's going to be that everything goes on a schedule.
4: We're talking to Barrett Salee, CBS Sports. As a part of that, there has been a discussion, hey, should we ex- expand the overall college football playoff? And the argument for why it should happen is what we just talked about, the difficulty of assessing overall teams, the fact that certainly there are Pac-12, let's say, for example, going to get left out, barring almost something crazy. Same thing with the Big 12 champion, all those things. The argument against it is eight teams have way more things that could go wrong than four teams do which is why I'm in favor in general of expanding the playoff to eight. I don't know what your perspective is on that, but I think this year is the wrong one to even consider it because of all the difficulties. I think four is the right number to hit. How would you assess whether expanding the playoff makes sense? And do you agree with me that going to eight this year makes it way more complicated?
5: Well, I, I agree with you that it makes it way more complicated, and I'm vehemently pro 14 playoffs, like just in general. I think the 18 playoff is awful to be awful. But uh, yeah, definitely this year, because you almost need scarcity. You almost, because you're right, it, it would lead to if you have more teams, and I think we all know there's a massive difference between the top four and then the potential in the next four that come in, right? Like it's just, there's a massive difference between those teams. So if you're just expanding for the sake of expanding, you're giving yourself more of an, uh, of a problem or at least the threat of a problem with COVID. Once those teams, um, you know, go play their games and travel and do what they got to do. So uh, I do think if you're, if you keep keeping it at four, and you can create a pseudo bubble, you can get them out there for, you know, a week, whether it's California or new Orleans and, you know, literally keep them in a bubble. Not not don't send them to these children children's hospital. Don't send them to, you know, Bubba Gump shrimp and have an eating contest. Like don't. Just don't. And that I think is a lot easier. So yeah i'm a, I, I totally agree with you if you're if you expand it, you're asking for for way more problems and you're creating more problems that you really don't need to be created that you're doing just for the sake of of access, which just doesn't make sense to me.
4: We haven't we haven't talked a lot about this on the show, and I bet you haven't talked about it that much either because it hasn't been a primary topic of discussion. Do you think the bowl games are going to go off as normal? and here's why I asked that question. Because I think when you look at the at the calendar, we know that kids were tempted by Halloween. And we got Thanksgiving, and we'll see how that goes next week. And then you've got Christmas. And kids are all going to go home. They're going to be around their relatives. I understand that teams are going to say, oh, you know, we got to be careful with that. But it seems to me that the possibility of having positive tests is, is going to skyrocket in the wake of Christmas. And given that many bowls will be played after Christmas, it seems to me that's going to be almost impossible to police in terms of being able to play these games as scheduled. The bowl season seems like a total recipe for a mess.
5: Uh, especially if, you know, cases continue to skyrocket or whatever and you get back, like kids get back to campus after Christmas break and, you know, there's one false, or there's one or two positives and, you know, it's, or, or, you know, more positives from, you know, from family members. And then, you know, once they get back to to being around their teammates, they, you know, contact tracing is going to be even more uh, of an issue. So, yeah, um, I I think you'll have some bowl games, but I could foresee a, a situation where, After a couple weeks, they're just like, you know what? Screw this. Like it's just, it's not. I know the TV uh, folks need content, and these are TV shows. But if you're going, if you're having half of your bowl games canceled because you're you're getting too many positive tests or contact tracing the week of the game, like that just seems it just seems unnecessary. So, uh, no, I'd be floored if. If you don't have, you know, I would say if, if, what do we have? We're down to like 35 after some bowls, you know, already canceled. I, it wouldn't surprise me if we're down in the, the high teens in terms of games that are actually played.
4: Barrett Salee, I appreciate the time, my man. Appreciate you getting up early with us here on a Friday, and we will uh, talk to you hopefully in the near future. Hope you enjoy those uh, television advertisements, and uh, <laughs> good
5: luck. Please, my fellow guy,
4: come back. I miss you. Uh, that is Barrett Salih, CBS Sports. Be sure to
5: catch live editions of Outkick,
4: the coverage with Clay Travis
5: weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
4: We have a great podcast called Wins and Losses. Yesterday, I sat down with Grant Napier, who is the longtime television announcer with the Sacramento Kings, also did local radio for 26 years. He was fired for back on in late May he tweeted out uh, all lives matter every single one and within 48 hours he had lost his job Uh, It is kind of wild. It's an amazingly ridiculous cancel culture story. And we had a longer form conversation about his career. But also, I wanted to play that particular aspect of our conversation for you. And I think you will enjoy it. Here that is starts now. In the space of 48 hours after you send a tweet that says all lives matter, every single one with three exclamation points, you lose your entire career. What was the private reaction? You know everybody, you know a lot of people really well in the NBA with the amount of time that you spend in the league. Coaches, players, uh, executives. What was their private reaction versus what the public reaction was? Because I can give you what I bet the answer is. I bet privately a lot of people said this is very wrong. I bet publicly very few of them said it.
2: You are 100% correct. Uh, Privately, I've kept every single voicemail. I've kept every single text message. I have uh, kept a diary of every single person that called me. And privately, the reaction was unbelievably supportive. Uh, Former players, uh, some current players, former coaches, former executives – um, I can go on and on. Many, 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 many of my colleagues around the NBA, both local and national announcers, uh, I, like you, have developed, you know, quite a bit of, uh, contacts through the National Football League and the National Hockey League. I received calls from people in no sports, uh, privately. It was absolutely Unbelievable. It was uh, incredible publicly because everybody was so scared of losing their jobs or being labeled. There was nothing publicly. There was nobody. And I had I had so many of my colleagues call me up and say, Grant, I can't believe this. This is so wrong. And they would say, I just want you to know I can't say anything publicly. And I would say, I get it. I completely understand you don't want to be labeled you don't want to lose your job you're fearful uh you're you're you can't you can't speak how you honestly feel because if you do the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to me and so publicly it was silence just absolutely silence
4: and that's what's so overwhelmingly staggering about cancel culture in general is almost everyone knows it's wrong And yet people are so afraid that the mob is going to come after them that they're not even willing, by and large, to speak out and say this is wrong. Right. Because they're afraid that they're going to be the next target, which is how these mobs get their power. It's fear. Right. It's fear that is overwhelming. This This is why I think this is a significant conversation we're having, because your story comes in sports. But there are a huge percentage of people out there. And by the way, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, straight, religious, not really, it doesn't really ma- matter. There's a huge percentage of the American population that lives in fear that they are a Facebook message, an Instagram message, a tweet in your case, away from losing everything. You had 32 years of television games to your background, 26 years of radio, and sending all lives matter every single one, you lose all of that within 48 hours.
2: Yeah, and I can't speak specifically about my departure with the Kings, but what I would say is that I had many conversations with colleagues that are currently broadcasters in various sports, and they would call me up, and we would speak for an hour, and they would go, Grant, I am so nervous to go on the air. Yeah, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I'm like you're kidding me, and they go, no, I'm really. These are these are people that have been doing this for for fifteen, twenty, twenty five years. I was having a conversation with professional broadcasters. Yes. And Clay, you know this when you when you're on live, you're on live. You you know everything's spontaneous. Like I don't have a script. I'm not writing things down. I'm just spontaneous when I talk on the air. And I have and when you're announcing a game, you're you're you're, you're ad living the whole game. You don't you don't have time to look. You're not writing anything down and then reading it when you're broadcasting a live event. And I would have. My colleagues go, man, I'm really nervous. I'm nervous about going on the air and saying something that I shouldn't, even though it would be innocent. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm talking to my colleagues, how awful is this that we live in a society now in 2020 where you have to be now paranoid about going on the air because you're afraid that you're going to say something that's going to be misconstrued? I mean, how sad is that, Clay? It's
4: terrifying. It's terrifying. I mean, and and I think it's also emblematic of larger issues. Look, I don't care about anybody's politics. I came out and said I was voting for Donald Trump. And I said one reason I voted for Donald Trump was because I am completely opposed to cancel culture. And I see cancel culture continuing to get more and more control in this country on a day-to-day basis. Grant, the number of people in my industry, I just want you to think about this for a minute. I am on air on Fox, uh, Fox FS1 on television daily. I am the only person at Fox Sports, at CBS Sports, at ABC slash ESPN, or at NBC Sports that I'm aware of that is an employee that goes on the air and talks about sports who has said that, that he or she is voting for Donald Trump. Only one, Right. 70-some-odd million people voted for the president of the United States. Maybe Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. That's fine. It doesn't really matter to me. Sometimes my candidates win. Sometimes they lose. But how crazy is it that no one else in all of sports is willing to say that they're voting for Donald Trump in my profession of sports media? I'm the only one. It's not because I'm the only one. You talk about the private conversations. When I said that I was voting for Trump – my phone blew up. People that all of you know that are listening to me right now, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, people who watch you watch on television, you read, a ton of them reached out and said, I'm doing the same thing, but I am terrified to say it publicly because in our industry, I could get in trouble for having that opinion. In your opinion, all lives matter every single one, that is supposed to be the reason you're fired, I'm assuming, because people decided that was a racially insensitive thing to say. Is that right? Like that was, uh, 100% sensitive, right?
2: That's correct. Racially insensitive. That's, I can only, I can only guess that. How else could it be? I mean, all lives matter. Every single one, you help me out here. How is that a racist comment? I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. I, I really don't. And I'll, I'll take that to my grave. All lives matter. Every single one is deemed by some as racist. You know, I still have people that reach out to me or strangers and they go, you still don't get it. And my response is, no, I don't think you get it. I get it completely, okay? I had my life completely turned upside down. I said, I don't think you get it when I have people say that to me. They go, Grant, you know, you still don't, get or I see comments on whatever, and people go, well, gee, you know, I, I listen to Grant's podcast, and he talked about this, and boy, he still doesn't get it. And I go, no, you don't get it. I think I get it fine. I think I have a complete understanding. And I said this to my wife. And, you know, again, I'm not I'm not like patting myself on the back here, but this is how my family lives our life. My wife went to Zambia with a couple of ladies last summer for two weeks. Okay, went to Zambia to help out women and children in that country and ended up having a phenomenal relationship with a lady over there and ended up having the lady come to California in January of this year. And live with her sister for one week and live with us one week to show her the American culture, show her life in a different part of the country, and just like the experiences. That, that's how my family lives. You know, I talked about my brother. I talked about my father. You know, not to get off on a tangent here, in 1963, my father um, got 13 busloads of people, okay, 13 busloads of people at the Community Church of New York to go to the March on Washington. All right? That, that's how I was raised. I was raised to preach equality. I was raised equality, equality, equality. I was raised to go out of your way, go above and beyond for the black community. You know, not, no, you need to do more for the black community. That's how my dad raised us. And now I am losing my career because I say all lives matter, every single one, with the complete intent of every single one means every single race, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you just mentioned them all. That's what's so appalling to me about, not only my situation, but others that have been canceled that have the same viewpoint as me. Now, are there others, Clay, that have made comments like that are probably racist? Hell yeah. And if we, if we don't acknowledge that, we're being stupid and naive. But peel back the layers on each individual before you just totally cancel someone. I, that's the part that just is mind-boggling to me. So
4: where do you go from here? Like, what happens now? Because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of utterly fascinated by a situation such as this that happens. You've obviously started a podcast. I believe you've moved out of Sacramento. Correct. What do you want? A big thing, obviously, in life is things happen and you continue to adjust your life as a result. What would you like for the result of your situation
2: to be? I want my name cleared. That's what I want. I want my name restored, and I know that's never going to happen. And uh, I mentioned later that matters. That
4: matters a great deal to you that you are uh, that you have, uh, have been canceled, and that many people are willing to believe that that's a justifiable reason that you were canceled for. That you're racist. That you're a horrible human being. And after 32 years of TV, 26 years of radio, that still hangs over you. That, that is the number one thing that bothers you the most about losing your job.
2: Absolutely. I, I'm 100%. I told, my, I told my wife this. I said, you know, if, if I'm a racist, I hope every white person in America is racist just like I am because then racism won't exist. And that's how I feel. You know, I, I want my name restored uh, for, but by those that do use the term racist. You know, Matt Barnes came out on Twitter, Matt Barnes, can you believe this? And said, I'm a closet racist. And yet this is the same guy that when he last played in Sacramento had a weekly show with me. He would come on my radio show every week and then ask to play in my golf tournament, which we raised the money to send our kids to college and spent $7,000 at our auction. Okay, and yet I'm a closet racist, and yet you're on the radio with me every week, and you are playing in my golf tournament. I mean, what? I mean, I want I want my name restored. Okay, I want, and I and again, I know I'm being naive here, Clay. All right, because people are going to believe what they want. I know who I am. I have no problem putting my head on the pillow at night. I've lost my entire career, and the one thing I really hope is that this doesn't happen to somebody else, and it already has. But I'm really praying that other people don't have to go through what I went through because it's just flat out wrong. And I'm not having a pity party. I'm not, I'm not crying on your shoulder here. The reality is that what's happening in America in 2020 with cancel culture is just flat out despicable. It's absolutely wrong.
4: Last question for you, DeMarcus Cousins, you said you didn't have a good relationship with you. Do you feel like he was trying to set you up to get fired?
2: at the time i didn't even think about it but in retrospect yes because i think he knows enough about my background and what I believe in. He knows about my relationships with other players, which are very good. My friendships with other players. He used to see me hanging out with other players. Um, I can only say yes. I don't know. That would be a question for him. But uh, in retrospect, um, I think uh, he, and I haven't talked about this publicly until just now, I think um, DeMarcus Cousins, Matt Barnes, and Chris Weber ganged up on me. And I think that they uh, had issues with what I said. You know, Matt Barnes and DeMarcus Cousins, we had a game that was postponed in Philadelphia because of condensation on the court. And they were seen in the locker room with a bottle of Hennessy, and they put it out on Instagram and social media. And I went on my radio show, and I said, how stupid is that? Why are you broadcasting that? If, you, if you're going to drink, drink, but don't broadcast it. And then and then was a short period of time after they got into a brawl at a New York nightclub, and DeMarcus was on the sidewalk, unaware that somebody was videoing. Him on their phone, and he was bragging about the fight in the nightclub and how Matt Barnes had, you know, punched this girl. and And I, so what am I going to go on the radio show and ignore that? And that's their way of getting back at me. And if you want to get back at me, that's fine. But don't call me something that I'm not. Those those individuals know who I am. They know everything about my background. Uh, and and and, how, and how, what, how hypocritical is that? You're going to come on my radio show every week, and you're going to play in my golf tournament, and then because I said something bad about you, Clay, I don't know how you feel about this. We, as white broadcasters in America, should be able to criticize a person of a different ethnicity and not be called racist, okay? I can't do my job properly. If I'm on my radio show and I can't criticize a black athlete, a white athlete, a Hispanic athlete, that doesn't mean that I have bias against you. I criticize all races, I criticize athletes based on how they're performing or not, coaches, how they're doing, how they're not. It has nothing to do with their ethnicity. I don't sit there and go, gee, you know what? That individual is black, so let me rip him. Let me criticize him on the air. That never even enters my mind. That's not how I operate. But unfortunately, in 2020, if you're a Caucasian broadcaster in America and you criticize an African-American athlete, there are those that are automatically insinuating that you're racist. How awful is that, Clay? Seriously, how sad is that?
4: Well, I think it just builds on identity politics in general, right? And 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 this is to me why identity politics and cancel culture are in many ways connected because the goal of anyone in my opinion, if you are in a business where you're looking and trying to, to decipher who's good, who's bad, and that's basically the the opinion business of sports in general, right, should be to be as completely fair and transparent and equal to everyone as you possibly can be, right? And so this idea that we should have different standards for how we talk about people based on what they look like or based on their identity, things that they cannot control, is inherently, at its most basic level, racist, right? I need to be able to talk, and you need to be able to talk, whether it's white, black, Hispanic, or Asian. Everybody has to be able to talk to each other as individuals, not as individuals who have an identity first, right? And so this is why my analogy has been that, that I think is, is, is interesting. I don't care. We, we see all the time now on television. People say, uh, as, a, uh, as a Hispanic transgender woman, I believe, right, people will say things like that. All of that I don't care about. Your argument is either good or bad based on the quality of the argument, not based upon the identity behind which you are standing. And I, I take it back all the time to, it reminds me of royalty, if you remember, if you study history at all, people used to say they had the divine right of kings. And so people who were noblemen or people who were uh, in positions of prominence in Europe back in the days of feudal realms, they would say as the third lord, you know, Monterey of the Mount Botan, you know, and the vice chancellor. They put all these huge list of uh, assignations before their name. And then they would say, I believe. Well, my thing is, I only care about the quality of your argument. I don't care about everything that you're using as justification for why your opinion matters. You either have a good opinion rooted in facts that sound and factual and and, and worthy of, of respect, or you have a bad opinion. And what you look like shouldn't impact what that opinion is. And so I think the ad- identity politics era has created the cancel culture era. They're intertwined, and I think they're both, uh, frankly... Not popular, right? Because they all connect to the politically correct universe, which overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, a huge percentage of people of all different backgrounds reject them. And I like to think that at some point, cancel culture is going to explode and feed on itself and uh, whether you're a comedian who people are going through and saying, oh, but you can't make that joke, uh, or whether you're somebody going through and saying, oh, my God, that tweet or that Instagram post or that Facebook post, I don't know why the first response is we have to cancel this person. It doesn't make sense to me
2: again, look at Jack Nicholas. I did a rant on this a couple of weeks ago. He comes out and says he's voting for Trump, and you it, it was it, it was as if Jack Nicholas never existed, and people were killing him. I, I went on my rant and said, you know, I don't really give a damn who you vote for. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm a diehard New York Giants fan, season ticket holder. I don't care who the mayor and Tishes vote for. It makes no difference to me. I'm a fan of the team, but yet there are people out there that are just completely eliminating friendships, family members or yes. who you vote for. I, I, it's mind-boggling, not to get off on of but I watched what you said when you said you were voting for Trump. And what struck me so amazing is that you talked about who you voted for in previous elections. And I believe most of them were Democrats. And so you're, you're not just some guy that's on the far right, Republican, Republican, Republican. No, you're looking at each candidate and you're voting for who you think is the best person for this country. I respect that. Even if I don't agree with it, I respect that. And for you to lay it out the way you did, and yet people still have a problem with that, that's sad. That's, that's, that's Wrong. It's just flat out wrong. And uh, I know a lot of I have a lot of friends that told me that they ended long term friendships because of who they were voting for. And I'm scratching my head and I'm like, I don't get that. You vote for who you want. I vote for who I want. We can have an adult conversation. And at the end of the day, I respect you. I sure as hell hope you respect me. And we move on and we put our arms around each other and we try to make our country better. Even if you are a Trump supporter or you're a Biden supporter, whoever you support, okay? At the end of the day, we're going to have a new president on January 22nd. And you know what? As Americans, we owe it to come together and try to make this country better. And that, that doesn't exist anymore. And that is a real sad indictment on our children and our grandchildren that are growing up what kind of country are we leaving them it's awful it's terrible
4: that's grant napier you can hear the entire podcast conversation wins and losses just search out my name clay travis you won't miss it this is outkick the coverage with clay travis It is the final segment of the week, almost 15 hours in the books. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation we just had with Grant Napier. If you did, I would encourage you to go listen to the entire conversation as a part of the Wins and Losses podcast. That Wins and Losses podcast, uh, long-form conversations with a lot of really interesting people. I think we're up to almost 40 of them now. If you're going to be on a long drive, for instance, for Thanksgiving or for the holidays, or you're just traveling or you're just trying to escape some of your family, or you just want something good to listen to, 40 of them almost now, all of them are pretty interesting. But you can go through and look at who the interview subjects are and decide who you'd like to listen to. I think you will be very impressed at the overall quality of many of them and speaking of being very impressed with the overall quality 6 and 0 our outkick six pack of picks went last week 6 and 0 if you'd bet them all it would have paid off as a parlay at 45 to 1 well i've got a baker's half dozen of picks now for you i have got 7 Seven NFL gambling picks for you. I'm going to run through them all and then I'm going to let Dub tell me what he thinks about them. If you want to not, if you don't have time to write these down, uh, trust me, you can go to outkick.com. They will be posted there. You'll be able to just scroll through until you see the NFL picks and then you can click on it there and all of these along with the number will be there. Let me have the, uh, the melodic tunes of the gambling picks in the background there we hear it Titans plus six at ball at Baltimore uh, I believe this is a good matchup for the Titans why do I say that? Titans can't get any pressure on the quarterback but against Lamar Jackson you don't really need to get pressure on the quarterback you just need to contain him and I think the Titan defense is actually set up to contain Lamar Jackson fairly well I'm not sold on this Baltimore Raven Offense at all right now. Six feels like a steep number to me. I think the Ravens win, but I think this is a field goal game. Give me the Titans plus six. The Lions. The Panthers probably not going to have Teddy Bridgewater. That is what uh, we heard from Dr. David Chow on Thursday. That's when I decided I was going to bet this game. Christian McCaffrey is out. I got the Lions minus two on the road against the Panthers. The Patriots. Starting to show a little bit of rhythm. I like what I'm seeing from the Patriots. They are on the road against the Texans. It feels like the Texans have quit. The Patriots do not feel like they have quit. I like the Patriots a a point-and-a-half favorite on the road against the Texans. Atlanta. Jameis Winston coming in to take over for Drew Brees. I'm not sold on Jameis Winston. I like Matt Ryan, 8-5 and in the last 13 as an underdog against the number between Atlanta and New Orleans. I like the Falcons, plus 5 on the road in the Superdome. Dolphins at Broncos, I like the under 45-and-a-half here. The Broncos can't score on anybody. Their defense is fairly solid. I think they will bounce back and play better than they did uh, on Sunday. Really poor performance, I thought, against the Raiders. The Dolphins are won five in a row. They're due for a little bit of a rough spot here. I don't think they get as many turnovers. I like the under in this game. Chiefs on the road against the Raiders. I think the Chiefs come out and absolutely dominate against the Raiders after losing to the Raiders earlier this year. I like the Chiefs by double digits that's even before we knew that so many of the Raiders defensive players were not going to be able to interact and have a normal week of preparation so give me the Chiefs minus eight and i Monday Night Football we were talking about Monday Night Football earlier in this show I like the Rams plus four against the Bucks. I think the Rams have a good chance to keep this game close that is seven picks for you a Baker's half dozen. One more time, I'll run through them quick and then I'll see what Dub thinks of them. Titans plus six against the Ravens. Lions minus two at the Panthers. Patriots minus one and a half at the Texans. Atlanta plus five at New Orleans. The Dolphins at the Broncos, under 45.5. The Chiefs minus eight at the Vegas Raiders. And the Rams plus four at the Bucks. How would you assess these picks? Uh, Dub, do you love any of them?
1: I love one in particular. Well, really, I like I like a lot of them. And remember last week, we were a little nervous because of the number that I really liked.
4: You liked a lot of the picks, and then we went six and zero. So usually that's a bad sign. Yes,
1: but this week I'm a little questionable about your Titans just because the situation, Baltimore. Huge revenge spot from last year's playoff appearance. So that's the one. And also Carolina, just the uncertainty about Bridgewater. I understand he's probably not going to play, especially with this line. But that's one if he does play, then Carolina's probably going to be the favorite there. I love Atlanta in this spot. Yep. Uh, I don't. Vegas is not giving Drew Brees any respect here with this line.
4: I agree. It barely moved.
1: I mean, he's still a top-five quarterback if you look at the stats and numbers. I know, you know, based off a lot of people's eye tests, they think he has a noodle arm and his arm strength is gone, but he has a top-five QBR this season, so he's got to be – I mean, he's still a top-ten quarterback in this league. He
4: sees the field well. Absolutely. Right? He, he doesn't have the ability to take the top off a of defense like he may have in past years with the overall, you know, massive amount of arm strength. But he puts the Saints in positions where they have advantages throughout the entirety of the game. That's why he's won so many games. And Jameis Winston has shown us that he is not very careful when it comes to taking care of the football. And so in a scenario where I feel like the Atlanta Falcons are going to be able to score, I feel like we could get a turnover or two from Jameis, maybe another pick six. And I feel like plus five is great value for Atlanta.
1: I agree. And speaking of Jameis Winston, his old coach in Tampa Bay, Dirt Cutter, he's the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. So you don't think that Raheem Morris is going to Dirt Cutter all week this week saying, you What know, does
4: Jameis do poorly? Exactly. Where can we, take Where can we of attack it? his weaknesses?
1: Yeah. That's going to be definitely going on. This game, I think it should be more like three points, not five. I think this is a great pick, a great value play on Atlanta, a team that's been Playing well the last month or so this season. So that's probably my favorite pick. If I had to pick a second, it would probably be New England. This is one of those like the Rams a couple weeks ago. It looks too good to be true, but the strength of New England right now is running the football, and that's the weakness of the Houston Texans defense. Damian, uh Harris for uh, New England, he's been running all over the field. So I think this is a great matchup, ball control game for Bill Belichick and the Pats, and I think they go on the road and beat Houston, who's only beaten one team, and that's the Jaguars.
4: Yeah, and also it feels like Houston's quit it just it just kind of does in many in many ways and it's not as if when you play against the Patriots now that teams get up for it because Brady's not there and look, cam is still a effervescent star but it used to be that everybody got so geeked to play against the Patriots I don't think that's happening anymore all right there are the Baker's half dozen six plus one the outkick six pack you got an extra beer there this week.
2: product availability just one part that makes o'reilly stand apart the professional parts people oh, 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 o'reilly auto parts